0: Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Look right at the middle section today because they're here they're all kinds of fired up um, speaking of a good day um, it's official Kitra and I are grandparents now um, so there you go it's uh, I in fact in prayer this morning I really felt led by the Lord to just show baby pictures for the whole service and so pretty excited about that. I know you are too. I actually mentioned that to a grandmother in first service. Um, And she was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's what you should do. I'm like, no, no, that's not what we're doing. But I do have some pictures. You want to see them? Okay. All right, here they are. Caleb Kinsey and baby Finn Umber Walker, born 11, 15, 22. Um, Official, we actually, Guinness was just there. Cutest baby ever born. That's what they said. Um, so, and then they closed the record book and it was done. So, no, um, great birth. Everything went great. Um, we got the call Tuesday morning. Uh, my son was like, It's coming. We're like, What's coming? The baby. And so we got Katrina on an airplane. She got down there like 15 minutes after the baby was born or something, or one hour. Um, and I uh, got to hold the baby and be there with him. And then I got the girls all packed up and a few things done, packed all the stuff I thought they needed, which apparently was none of the stuff they needed, um, but it just seemed like the right stuff, you know, with some candy, and so, um, anyways, got down there and just got back last night from Homer, hanging out with them, so, anyways, and just, um, and by way of the name, because this generation, is, I, don't, I don't know if you realize this, nobody names kids, John, Bob, Fred, those are all done, all done, so, Finn, Um, but Umber is on the Choctaw side of my family, my dad's side, that's our family name on that side, means red earth. Um, and then Walker is my last name. I don't know if you knew that, I'm, I'm, so I'm really excited about that part too. So anyways, yeah, there you go. That's all. We'll move on now. We can move on. Um, because what this has had me thinking about is legacy. Uh, Caleb was the last Walker in our family line. So he was feeling this enormous amount of pressure. If I don't have a son, the walkers are done. Um, And so that was our motto. We taught him that his whole life growing up. Um, You don't have a son, the walkers are done. Say it with me, kid. Um, And so he was just feeling this pressure. So as soon as they found out it was a boy, he was like, oh. His hair started to grow back. It was like miraculous, um, the pressure that was off in that moment. Um, And, anyways, and so I've been thinking about legacy. And um, what do we want to be known for? What will we leave? Because the truth is, you will leave a legacy. You only get to decide what kind of legacy it is. What will you be remembered for? What will you be known for? And maybe even more importantly, what will we, as the body of Christ, be known for? And speaking of things that people are known for, um, we had a few moments of nostalgia over this past week. And one of the things that popped up um, was the Can't Hug Every Cat video lady. Anybody remember 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago now? This was back when the YouTube first came out. Like, like, this was a while ago, and the lady who made the eHarmony video of the things that she... Oh, you were about to get your socks blessed off. Um, uh, right, right now, this thing broke the internet when it came out. You know my deep affection for cats... Um, and uh, so let's, let's just take a quick look. It's a two minute video. Um, they took and songified it, you know, so they added music to it. But if you watch the actual video that she posted, it is exactly what you're about to see. So, here we go. This is my first attempt at a eHarmony video. I'm nervous, but I'm excited at the same time. So I'm just gonna start talking about what I like I love cats, I love every kind of cat. I just wanna hug all of them, but I can't get hug every cat. Get hug every cat. So anyway, I am a cat lover and I love to run. I'm sorry I'm thinking about cats again. I really love cats. I'm thinking about cats again. And again, and again, and again, and again I think about how many don't have a home and how I should have some I think about how I love every kind of cat. I just wanna hug all of them, but I can't, can't hug every cat. Can't hug every cat. I am a cat lover and I love to run. I'm sorry I'm thinking about cats again. I really love cats, but I can't hug every cat. Can't hug every cat. Oh man, You're welcome. Mike, Mike Michaud texted me after last service. He said, that's two minutes of my life I'm never getting back. And I'm like, dude, you've done dumber stuff for two minutes in your life. I promise you. But here's, so here's the story, the backstory. story. Um, if you've never seen that video, at first I thought, this guy's crazy. In fact, i thought that for 11 years. This guy's insane. And then my daughters watched this video for the first time this week. It's like, nope, she's my daughters. Um, Like, those people are out there. So here's the deal. She made this video. She was like, I'm going to make a funny little video. I'm going to send it to my sister because I do this all the time. Facebook wouldn't allow her to post it. So she put it on her own little YouTube channel as a joke. The next morning she got up. She said 100 people have watched it. The next day she got up to 1,000 people had watched it. The next day, 10,000. By the end of the first five days, a million people had watched the video and now 75 million people have watched the video. It is all she is known for. Like, she's famous for that. In fact, they did a Super Bowl commercial with her here just a while back. Uh, All as a joke that she started out there. And I realized, I will be known for something, and I often don't get to control the full narrative of what I'm known for, but the church is known for some things. I don't know if you know, I'll preface it with this. I love Christians. Some of the best people I know are Christians, and we're known for some things that aren't all that great too, aren't we? Well, at least you are. I don't, um... No, Christians in general are actually known for some things that aren't all that great. And and some of it's just mudslinging, but some of it sticks. In fact, um, one of those things is that Christians are known for um, being really good at making commitments, getting excited about something, being committed to something, making commitments, and then following that up by making excuses for why we didn't do what we said we were going to do. In fact, I see it happen fairly often. I think we're all probably prone to it to to some degree, and there's a psalm, Psalm 15, and The psalmist, David, is writing a song, and the opening lines of the song are asking God, who could worship in your sanctuary? Who gets to come into your presence? Who gets to be in front of you? And that's the question that the psalmist is asking. And then the psalmist lists a series of things that are sort of the qualifications to come before the Lord. And I love this psalm, not because necessarily um, it makes me feel good, it's challenging for sure, and I recognize that these things are actually met in the person of Jesus, not by my own righteousness. But listen to the list. Psalm 15 verses 1 through 5, I'll abbreviate the first part. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives, do what is right, speak truth, refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors despise flagrant sinners, honor the faithful followers of the Lord, and, now listen to the last three, those who keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and those who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. The last three things have to do with Money and keeping your word, fulfilling your commitments, keeping your obligations, not taking bribes, or, but specifically, and now, now sometimes um, when it comes to church and conversations that we have in church, people would say, money isn't a spiritual topic, and I would actually strongly disagree. And in fact, um, you could Google it right now if you wanted to, but you could look and discover that almost any list of the reasons that couples fight, money is at the top. Now, some of you may have just been married for a few weeks. You're like, we're never, ever going to fight about money. I'm like, whatever. Like, the day's going to come that you really want to buy that, and she's going to be like, but we've got to get food. And you're going to be like, what? <laughs> but that gun will get us food. And it, like, she hasn't, She's not on to the game yet, right? Like, but money is probably one of the... And marriage is a really big deal to God. In fact, the conflicts that are created around money and the way that we handle it is actually a really big deal and actually a very spiritual thing. It often we'll act like um, when, when we've got plenty, when we have our resources stockpiled, right? when, when we're ready, um, that I worked hard, I earned this money, this belongs to me, I'm going to spend it however I want to spend it, and yet when we don't have any, we blame God. So we get the credit when we have the resources. God gets the blame when we don't. You can't have it both ways. Money is actually a really spiritual issue. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul's going to be writing to this young church, and he has been modeling something for them. Listen to the practical advice he's going to give in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7-12. For you know that you ought to imitate us, We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it or working for it. We worked hard day and night, so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those who are unwilling to work should not get to eat. Yet, We hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. That's like super practical and in the Bible, which is spiritual. Often I think when we hear things like this or things that come into mind about those people out there, about government programs, about how governments should run, but he's not writing to governments, he's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, this is how you should live your lives in a way that is productive, in a way that isn't idle. In fact, in 2 Timothy, um, he's going to write to the church about how to care for widows in the church. Because there was some debate about whose responsibility are the widows in the church. And so he starts by giving some clarification as to who is a widow. So how old do they need to be to be a widow? right? Um, uh, Extended family. Are they old enough to remarry? Could they have a job? Or do they fit into this category of a widow? And then once they identify who those people are, listen to what he has to say about whose responsibility it is to provide for them. 1 Timothy 5 Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Like That's very spiritual conversation, I would say. He says this issue of being a provider, of how we manage resources, how we handle resources, is actually a really big deal. And let me clarify, money and how much we have or don't have isn't a big deal to God. Here's what is stewardship and faithfulness. How we handle the resources we've been entrusted with, stewardship and faithfulness to be obedient, those are really big deals to God. And they actually should be really big deals to us. And so in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is going to write to this young church. Now, if you don't know anything about the city of Corinth, let me just fill you in on some details. They are extremely wealthy. Corinth is an import-export trade community known for its wealth, known for its decadence, and known for its debauchery. Like, it is the sin city of their day. In fact, if you were a promiscuous person, you slept around, uh, you were known as a Corinthian person. Like, this was the community where they could do whatever they wanted. And this young church is emerging there. And Paul is addressing an issue with them specifically around their interest in being generous. They've made a commitment because the church in Jerusalem is experiencing severe persecution. In fact, people have lost everything. All their possessions have been taken. Family members are being killed. They're being um uh, completely slaughtered in the Colosseums, Uh, like horrific things are happening for the church in Jerusalem. And when the church in Corinth hears about it, they are the very first ones. They're like, we want to be a part of the solution. Let us raise some money. We're going to send it to the church in Corinth, which sounds a little bit like our echo missions conference. When you hear about what's going on all over the world and you're like, I want to be a part of that. I want to contribute towards that. Now, Paul has some concern that they were just emotional in that moment and they might not actually follow through with their commitment, that they might make a commitment and then make excuses. So he writes this to them in 2 Corinthians 8. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Verse 10, here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first in beginning doing it. Now you should finish what you've started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your actual giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Verse 21, We were careful to be honorable before you, but we were also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. Show them your love and prove to all the churches that are boasting about you is justified. Paul's like, Listen, the time's coming. You made a commitment a year ago. It's almost time to collect the gift that you promised to take it to the church in Jerusalem. And I have some concern that you may have started really well, but you might not be ending so well. So I want you to know we're coming. You need to be getting ready. And here's really what Paul is addressing. He's addressing two issues. The first one is keeping our commitments. And the second one is doing so with integrity. That how we do that matters. And I would say it like this. You will not produce what you did not plant. And you cannot provide what you have not planned for. You will not produce what you have not planted, and you will not be able to provide those things that you have not planned for. You can think about it in really simple budgeting terms. If I want to purchase this item and yet I make no um, provision or plan in order to be able to save up to purchase that item, when the time comes, it won't be there. I'll do it on a credit card and I'll be in even more debt. Right? That's how we, and Paul's concerned about this church. And so I want to address two questions today. The first one is this. How do I budget so that I can be a blessing when the time comes? And the second one is, what do I do? when my budget gets busted? Like everything goes sideways. COVID happens. I lose my job. The car gets wrecked. Like how do I respond in those moments? Because we all have those moments. Budget to bless. He goes on verse nine, or chapter nine, verse three. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. Macedonia, this is a place that is impoverished. I mean, they have nothing, and yet they are exceedingly generous in giving towards this gift to go to Jerusalem. He's like, you don't want those guys to show up and find out you didn't do what I've been telling them you've said you're going to do. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So he's like, you need to have a plan in place. I'm not 100% sure that you do. I know the zeal is there, the passion is there, the desire is there, but I'm concerned that you have not planned or in order to be able to produce the blessing that you'd like. So I'm going to send some guys ahead and I'm going to let them connect with you and make sure that there's a plan in place so that you could live up to the obligations that you've made, which is a great opportunity to just remind you that at our Echo Missions Conference, um, the pledges that we make to our missionaries, we just send the missionaries that information so they know that you made a pledge and I made a pledge, and our job then is just to be faithful to do what we said we were going to do. So I was asking our staff, I was like, what would you say? Would you say most people know how to create a budget? And they were like, a what? No, they "A bud- no, not. no. We would not say that most people know how to create a budget. And I've realized I take um, for granted things, I assume things quite often. And so is it OK if I get really practical for just a moment? Are you, are you OK with that? Because I just want you to know, practical isn't unspiritual, and OK, you get it. And, and what I'm going to describe to you is I'm, I'm going to describe to you um, how Kitri and I manage our budget. So this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Don't go and say, God said, this is, just, this is how Pastor Jonathan and Kitchri try and manage their finances. Um, and these are things that you build up to over time, but here's, um, we use the 10-15-75 rule. It's percentages, 10-15-75, which I believe adds up to 100. If it doesn't, then I shouldn't be managing our budget. Um, but anyways, 10-15-75, uh, and so um, when you talk about expenses and you talk about a budget, um, a budget really is taking your total income minus strategic spending equals budgeting. Your total income minus strategic spending. Because if you just take your income and then you say, here's how much we spent, that just tells you what you have left. That's not a budget. A budget is strategic. And so for us, this 10, 15, 75, 10% is off the top. That is our return to God and recognition that he is the one who gave us everything that we have. And we do that right off the top. It's the first thing to come out for us because what I realize is that if I wait any length of time, I'm like, oh, I don't know that I have. But when I do it right there, I am amazed at how God multiplies what we have left. And so we just take that principle of the tithe and we apply it right out of the gate. My goal for the last probably 10 years um, has been to add a percentage to that a year just to increase our generosity. And here's why. Because generosity has more to do with your own heart than it does everyone else. What I've discovered is the more generous I am, the more my own perspective shifts towards how generous God has been to me rather than on what I do not have. I would invite you anytime, come with me to uh, Uganda, come with me to India, come with me to Peru. And if you want to see what poverty looks like, you can see poverty there. By any standard, everyone in this room is wealthy compared to that. And some of the most generous people I have ever met have been in the leper colonies that I've visited, have been in the slum communities that I've been in, like some of the most gen- because generous is about a lot more. Than money. In fact, if you've been telling yourself, "Um, the day will come that I'll be generous. When I have this much, I will be generous. I'm just telling you, you won't. I've watched people over the years long enough. If you're not generous now, you will not be generous later. Because generosity isn't just about money. Generosity is about the heart. And that belief that I will be generous at some point. No, you will be what you are right now at some point. So start now with what you have. So we stay right there. We start um, giving 10%, savings 15%, uh, 20% would be ideal, but that's like long-term savings and also emergency funds. Um, you, should have a, you should be working towards having, I should say, um, a minimum of one month's expenses in the bank so that when those moments come that the budget gets busted, you have something to fall back on. Now, I'll tell you, it was not until I was in my 40s. that I had one month's expenses in the bank. I recognize it takes time. Uh, But 15% towards savings, um, and then living expenses is a 75%, and we are working all the time to reduce that amount that we actually need as our living expenses, and it's broken into two categories, fixed expenses and discretionary spending. Fixed expenses are not new snow machines. They're not ice cream. First service, somebody was like, oh, yes, it is. Fixed expenses are the things, the bills you must pay, the debts that you owe, uh, right? You've got secured debt and unsecured debt. Unsecured debt is that it's not attached to anything. Credit card debt is unsecured. They can't come repossess and take care of your debt. Um, And secured debt, like a home or a vehicle, even. Um, But secured and unsecured debt, but it's your mortgage, it's your rent, it's your insurances, utilities, those kinds of things. In your um, discretionary spending, you'd be surprised to see what all's in there. I actually put groceries, indiscretionary spending. Now, I don't mean that you don't need food. It's just that often all the food that we buy, we don't need, right? Like you're in that aisle and you're like, oh, I so have to have these cheese curds right now going in my basket, right? When I begin to look at my budget and I realize in this discretionary category, there are all kinds of places that I could save, that I could shave off spending. I'm amazed every single time that I look at our budget. I do it a couple of times a year and I go through all of these things. But I'm just going to say this, um, subscriptions and dues, I've got to have Netflix, I have to have Amazon Prime, I have to have, right, like what is it that you think that you have to have? That's all indiscretionary. And I'm going to add one more, Um, forgive me for saying it, but um, hunting. There, I said it out loud. Um, but the truth is, right, you're like, no, no, we don't need food, but I do need this rifle. This rifle will provide so much food for us in the future. And she's like, no, it never has. Uh, but, listen, it, but being able to discern in that discretionary category. There you go. You want a great resource. Um, RamseySolutions.com. RamseySolutions.com, Dave Ramsey, a veritable plethora of resources for any season of life that you're in, any stage of life that you're in. How to reduce debt, how to build a biblical budget from um, uh, from a Christian perspective. It is a great resource. RamseySolutions.com, check it out. All right, there you go. Now, faithfulness and fruitfulness. Paul goes on, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. Listen to the illustration he gives. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. In other words, we won't harvest what we don't plant. Make sense? You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And then this word, and or After that, after sowing the seed generously, after planting, after deciding how much to give, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Verse 10 For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. It's a serious promise. Like he will enrich you in every way. He will provide for you. He will meet your needs. That God will show up here. Here's what I've discovered over the years. Um, Our responsibility is to be faithful. It's God's responsibility to make us fruitful. My job is actually to be faithful to the Lord, to be obedient to the things he's calling me to, to be generous in the ways that he's asking me to, to decide in my own heart and then do it, not begrudgingly, but with all the joy that I could possibly muster. My job is to be faithful. It's God's responsibility to make us fruitful. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, my job, and I in them will produce much fruit. It's the byproduct of faithfulness. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my father. Here's what I would say. Faithfulness is at the root of every fruitful tree in the kingdom. That our willingness to just simply step into what God's asking us to do, the fruit is the byproduct of faithfulness. It's my job to be faithful. It's his job to make us fruitful. Which brings me to the last thing. I beg your pardon. Which brings me to one of my all-time favorite songs that I don't know how I know, but... I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Anybody? Nobody? Raise your hand if you've heard that song. Hallelujah. You are the best service of the day. I just want to say that out loud. Two people, and like every other service... I don't even know how I, like I grew up in Oklahoma, maybe it's an Oklahoma thing, I don't know how I know, but every now and then it pops into my head. It popped into my head last night while Kittri and I were talking, and I've been torturing her with it ever since. I'm like, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. The song is all about like, you expected these things from me, but I never promised those things to you. And I find that I often treat God in that way. Like, I thought you said, I thought you promised me. And he's like, I beg your pardon in a real sassy kind of way. (laughs) I often misunderstand, misread, and misrepresent God. I'll give you a couple of examples. In 1996, um, I've been commercial fishing for several years, um, but I'm headed out. It's for the herring season. And just to give you some backstory, my skipper had not been all that successful in the past. Like, I was lucky to come home with a couple thousand dollars at the end of the season. Um, but we're out. It's the herring season. We're down at the docks. I'm engaged. Kitri and I are engaged. I'm ready to get married like yesterday. We're down at the docks. I envision it this way. I can't tell you if this is exactly how it happened, but I think I'm right. If Kitri tells you a different story, just ignore it. Um, and we're, the boat is, like, backing out. You know, he drops the diesel into gear, and we're backing out, and we're getting ready to pull out of the harbor. And I just hear her say... Um, By the way, I laid a fleece out before the Lord, and I said, if Jonathan makes $20,000 fishing this year, I'll know we're supposed to get married this summer. I'm like, you you what? Stop the boat! What did you do? Like, you told God I have to... Do you know how much I've made? I have made $20 in the past two. Like, i got to make $20,000. I'm going to be out there for one set. I mean, this is back when the herring fishery was, they called it a rodeo fishery. They opened it up for 15 minutes, and it was over. Like, you had time to make your set, and you had to have the seine closed up, and then whatever you had, you had, and the season was over. We caught the whole biomass that we needed in that one 15-minute swath. So all the way over to Kama I'm like, she's insane. Like, what's she thinking? I'm never going to get married. Like, we make that set. I made $24,000 in 15 minutes. I was like, there is a God. He's on my side. He loves me. Fast forward to the next season. I'm headed out fishing. We're now pregnant because we got married because God honored her insane request. Um, And we're now um, headed out fishing again. Our son Caleb is about to be born anytime. We head out to the fishing grounds and I get done with that season. And this is no exaggeration. I owed my skipper money for food and fuel. Like, that's how bad it was. And I'm coming back, and I'm like, I got a baby on the way. We don't own a home. Like, how are we going to make it? And yet, we made it. Like, we're, we're here. You've been there, right? Like, you've had those moments where you're like, I don't know how we're going to make it. And yet, here you are. You made it. And it reminds me of uh, Proverb 27, verse 1. It says this, don't brag about tomorrow since you don't have a clue what that day is going to bring. How do I handle things when everything goes sideways? When the budget gets busted, when I lose the job, when COVID hits, when everything goes sideways, and I have all of these great plans in place, a great budget in place, and yet all of a sudden, everything has been pulled out from under me. How do I handle those moments? 2003, we're living back at Alaska Bible Institute down in Homer, and I'm teaching at the Bible School. We've launched our own nonprofit. We're in full-time vocational ministry. And there we are. And I've told you this story before. There was a series of unfortunate events over a relatively short period of time. Um, We bought a brand-new video camera for our little ministry. This was back when they had actual tapes in them. We bought a video camera for the ministry, and we're um, eating pizza at Chuck E. Cheese. And while we're overplaying the stupid games at Chuck E. Cheese, somebody comes and steals the video camera. I've never been to Chuck E. Cheese since then in Anchorage. Um, But fast forward, and we get home, and the computer that we use for the ministry is just, it crashes hard. You can't get it up and running again. And then I'm at my kitchen window with this Suburban that we bought with all the money we got from selling our house to move back to Alaska, and the ice is melting underneath the edge of the Suburban. And I hadn't even noticed, but it's slowly tilting, 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 until finally it just slips off the edge of the driveway, slides down the hill sideways, and wraps itself around a tree. And I'm just like, Really, God? Like, we're giving our lives away to do the work of the ministry. And like, here we are. Everything is going wrong. I thought you said you were going to take care of us. I thought you said you were going to be our provider. And now, here we are. And in that way, like, not an audible voice, but like, I can tell you verbatim what God said to me in that moment. He said this, Jonathan, would you like to take me to court with that accusation? Not in like a kind of way, but like really serious. The accusation that I haven't provided for you, that I haven't blessed you based on these things, would you like to go to court with that accusation and see who wins? And I'm like, mm, no, not so much. Like, Let's settle out of court. How does that sound? Because the truth is, I had eaten that day i put on clothes. I was in a home. I had the most amazing wife in the world. I had a son. I was like, I was blessed in ways you couldn't even imagine. In fact, if I were to look at my life, I would not trade places with a single one of my friends from high school. Not one of them. Like the reality is that I had experienced the favor and the blessing of God. And if I were to take him to court over this accusation that he hadn't provided for me, I would lose every single time. Over the years, I've really wrestled with how do you respond in those moments when everything seems to be going wrong? I just want to give you two bits of advice. Step one, keep calm and remember. Remember what the Lord has done. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus speaking. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Verse 33, so seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. It's this invitation to just stay calm. Remember the same God who has provided for you in the past will provide for you now as well. And the second thing is this, keep moving and keep thanking him. Keep moving and keep thanking him. I was uh, in Chicago three weeks ago, preaching in Chicago. Um, Marty Sloan, who's been here with us numerous times in the past, Uh, had moved from the church he was at in Arkansas. He's at this church just north of Chicago in Naperville. Um, Been there for about three years, and I finally was able to say yes to an opportunity to go and preach at his church. I didn't really know what to expect, you know, um, uh, what the church was like or any of that, but I was excited to be there, excited to be with Marty and to see what God had him doing. I have a picture of the church I was preaching in three weeks ago here. Yep, that's it. Um, Just to clarify, those people are not there to see me. That's for the Brandon Lake concert that happened that night um, after I preached that morning, which I feel like Brandon Lake was really fortunate to share the stage with me um, since I was on it first. But um, a 2,500-seat auditorium, just a beautiful... 300,000 square feet under their roof, like really great church right there. And I'm on the platform and I'm preaching three Sundays ago. And this thought just kind of crashes into my head while I'm preaching. Fortunately, I was able to take my medication so I didn't say it out loud. But I was like, what am I doing here? Like a farm kid from Oklahoma. Like, why would any of these people want to hear what I have to say, number one? How did I get to this place? Like, I was just feeling this overwhelming sense of God's favor on my life that I do not deserve. I did not earn. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And I I remembered, because this is the 20 minutes from this church in Naperville is the spot that I met Jesus. It wasn't at a conference. It wasn't at a church. Like I had, you got to understand, I had gone to the altar hundreds of times as a kid, because I was a bad kid. (laughs) But but I can tell you exactly where I was when I met Jesus. And it was about 20 minutes away in an area called Oak Brook. And so I'm there on that Sunday. We go to the concert that night and then uh, meet up with Marty and his wife and Dave and LeRae happen to be in town. And we all grab breakfast the next morning. And then I left there. and I just wanted to go back to the spot where I met Jesus and just spend some time thanking him for everything that he had done in my life up to this point. And so I got all done with that, and I hopped in the car. I drove 20 minutes over to Oak Brook, and I found the place where um, I had worked at at one point. It was like all shut down now and gated up, so I did what any good pastor would do. I jumped the fence, and then I, I can tell you. In fact, this next picture is the spot. There's a little grove of trees, and that lake in the background, and right in the middle of those trees apart from anything else going on, I was just walking down the sidewalk. And the only way I can describe it is like God dragged me into this little grove of trees and I met Jesus. Like it was the most bizarre experience in my life because in the same moment, I was deeply grieved over my sin. you got to understand, I was running hard from Jesus. I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life, and I was on my way there. And I was going to abuse and neglect and do whatever I needed to do to get to where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do with my life. And in this moment, I'm just walking, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit like drags me into this little grove of trees. I'm on my knees. I'm just weeping for the first time in my life, just broken over how arrogant I had been towards this God who loves me. And in that exact same moment, this flood, this overwhelming sense of how much he loves me and how gracious he is towards me. I can just tell you, I don't know how many times I went to the altar growing up. That was where my transformation took place. My life was on an entirely different course from that. And so I just went into that little grove of trees, and I just knelt down. I just spent some time saying, thank you. Like, even, imagine in that little apartment at Alaska Bible Institute God didn't come through, right? Nobody brought us food. We never had another dime to our name. The heat got shut off, and my whole family dies of starvation in that apartment. Whatever the worst scenario you could think of is, and now my whole family is standing in the presence of Jesus in eternity. You tell me, did he fail me? I tend to think that this life is the most important thing. If I don't get what I want and experience what I want in this life, somehow God has failed me and yet what he had given me was eternal. And what I've discovered over the years is that wealth is more than money and the eternal is far more valuable than the temporary. And when you begin to fix your heart and mind on those realities, it changes how you see everything else around you when you understand the generosity of God, that is eternal generosity, all of the sudden generosity becomes my guttural response to the situations and the circumstances and the offenses that I experience in my life because I understand what he was like towards me. And I can't tell you how important gratitude is to developing generosity in your life. I'm going to invite you to stand with us been a busy few weeks uh, for our family and, um, and coming into this week and getting to be in Homer with the grandbaby and my son and daughter-in-law and all of those things. Um, and today I was like, I don't know. I know we're on this shoestring budget series and there's a tendency to think that those things aren't all that spiritual, but actually are deeply spiritual issues. Because what God knows about you and he knows about me is that there is an unhealthy attachment to material things in our lives. We're all prone to it. And he actually wants to sever many of those attachments. And the way that he does that is by calling us to be like him. Wildly generous to people around us. Not just make commitments, but to follow through. Stewardship and faithfulness are really big deals To him, and it's our job to be faithful. It's his job to make us fruitful. and We can trust him with his job. So Jesus, as we lift our voices and worship in these moments, would you cause your truth to settle in our hearts? And may we be transformed as a result. In your name, amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.